Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. So if you brought your Bible, you might want to turn there with me. We're going to look at one of those, wait, what? Uh, stories or statements or concepts we're going to be looking at. Did you know that there's not just a God the Father who created you? Or a God the Son that redeemed you? Did you know there's also a God the Holy Spirit who wants to take up residence inside of us? He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to speak to us. Not everybody knows that. As a matter of fact, the reason people aren't interested in the church is because they don't know that. If they knew what the church was all about, you couldn't keep them out of here. So in, in Acts chapter 19, there's an an interesting story that makes us wonder, why in the world is that even in the Bible? If we wrote it, we'd leave that completely out. But before we read it, I want to kind of unpack some, uh, some foundation, kind of lay it out for us. Um, in verses 4 through 7, uh, we see that Paul arrives at the city of Corinth. And he goes there to be a blessing to the people. And the first thing he does is he checks around to see if there's any believers at Corinth. And he finds a couple. And then he asks them this interesting question. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? It's a good question. And they kind of, I'm paraphrasing, said, wait, what? There's a Holy Spirit? We haven't even heard about him. We don't know anything about that. And Paul says, well then, what were you, were you baptized? And they said, oh yeah, we, it was John's baptism. And he said, oh, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance where people would say, I'm being baptized to show that I'm changing my life. That was a good thing. But there's more than that. And so they were baptized in the name of Jesus. That's, that's there in... Uh, in verses 4 through 7, if you want to check me out. Next thing we read about, this is still, I'm setting up the story. We read about is uh, in verse 11 and 12, where it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Amazing. God's doing amazing things. Healing's taking place. Demons are leaving people. It's amazing things happening because Paul has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power that's inside a believer. You don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power. If you have the power of God, trust me, it's the Holy Spirit. Because yes. you can't do that in the natural. Here's where we pick up our story. Now that I've laid that foundation, we're going to start reading in verse 13. Some Jews who were around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, 
But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. We're going to stop right there a bit. Wait, what? Why is this story even in the Bible? If I were writing the Bible, I would leave this story clear out. I mean, this is discouraging. They were defeated. Satan won. Great victory for the devil. Why do they even put it in the Bible? Why don't they give us, why don't they just leave the first part there that demons had to leave people? Spear, bad spirits had to leave people when Paul was around. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear about deliverance. I want to hear about good news. Why is this story even in here about the sons of Sceva who got the pants beat off of them? By the way, tonight, in the encounter night, we're going to give people who don't have the power of the Holy Spirit an opportunity to receive it. We want to do what we just read about here. We want to lay hands on people who want the power of God, and we're going to pray for them, and Satan's going to have to leave naked. But... While we're here, the story of the sons of Sceva, let's learn what we can learn from this story. So I've got a couple principles. Here's the first one. Power requires relationship. Yes. The Holy Spirit is the relationship that we have with God. Amen. It's the presence of God living on the inside so that he can whisper to us and we'll hear. Okay. And all it takes is a whisper from us and he hears. That kind of relationship yes. with the presence of God on the inside. The sons of Sceva were good guys. They wanted to do what was right. They wanted to help people who were in bondage get set free. They wanted to do good in this world, but they did not have the power to do it. Unfortunately, the church in this world desperately wants to do a good thing, but has no power. God wants to fill us with his power. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I hope we have it up here because I don't have it in my notes. Yeah. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, everybody say exceedingly. Exceedingly. Abundantly, say that. Above all, say that. That we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Not in him, it's in us. He has the power, we don't have any power, but he lives in us. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that we have on the inside. To do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, we ask or even think. In other words, God doesn't do things our way. So quit telling him how to do it. Just tell him what you want done. And he'll set it up. It has to do with relationship. What is God able to do? Anything. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, not through myself, through Christ. The Spirit of Christ is another name for the Holy Spirit that lives within us. 
So that kind of power requires a relationship, that we have a relationship with God, ongoing relationship. And if you're too, too busy with your job, with your career, with your activities to communicate with God who lives inside of you so he goes every place with you. You can't even go to the bathroom and get away from him. <laughs> Don't tell me you're too busy to talk to God. So how, would this, how is this power working out in our church right now? I'm, let me give you two examples. Number one is it's a resurrection power. He's able to take an absolutely dead person and raise them to new life. That tells me that's his spirit. He's able to take an absolutely dead church and resurrect it to new life. And I'm so glad I'm a part of that. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do through us together so that a lighthouse that's been snuffed out will shine brightly again. I'm excited about that. Here's another opportunity God set before us. An online church. Now that doesn't mean that much for you that are sitting here in the house, but I want to take a minute and I want to talk to the people that are sitting at home. Allow me to speak to you for just a minute. I want to give you a challenge. Between now and next Sunday, I want you to pray about this. Find somebody in your life that doesn't go to church anyplace and invite them to breakfast at your house next Sunday morning. Schedule it one hour before this, this church service starts in your living room. Schedule it one hour. Fix a nice breakfast, not Cheerios. Fix a nice <laughs> breakfast. You pay for it. Go out and buy some cinnamon rolls or something really good. Get some good coffee. Not at the gas station. You go get some good coffee. Invite them into your house. Have breakfast one hour before the church service. Fellowship. And then don't, don't pull a fast one on them. Tell them up front what you're going to do. That you go to church online and you'd like them to share it with you. Feed them breakfast. Sit down in the living room. Watch. It won't be me next week. I think it's Pastor Adam going to be next week. But watch. Watch it with them. Participate. Because these people will not come to church. Don't go asking somebody that goes to a Lutheran or a Catholic church. Don't do that. You ask somebody going no place. Trust me, 50% of DeKalb County is backslidden Christians who made a decision somewhere along the line. Invite them to come to your house. And let's watch and see what God wants to do. I talked so long, my screen disappeared. Come back. Okay, let's go to the second thing I want us to learn from our story. Religious formulas don't have power. Come on, good word. Down through the centuries, there have been all kinds of formulas that we've come up with in the church that this is the way, this is the way you do it. Like praying the rosary. The rosary has a, is, a, is a series of beads and you just work your way through the beads and it helps you start here and end there. There's nothing wrong with doing that unless you think that has the power to change your life. There's something wrong with that. Or how about baptism formulas? 
Do we baptize people in the name of Jesus? We just read about that. Or do we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or does neither one of those formulas really matter? What's important is a person publicly declaring their faith in in Jesus Christ. Or how about finishing catechism classes? Catechism's a good thing. It teaches us the basic principles of our, our faith. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless we think, once I've completed it, now I'm a Christian. Now I'm a part of the church. There's a problem with that. Other churches recite the Apostles' Creed or some other statement of belief. Nothing wrong with that, declaring what we believe, reminding ourselves what we believe. Unless we think reciting it somehow brings some kind of new life, which it doesn't do. Singing the doxology or reciting the Lord's Prayer, which we ought to do. There's nothing wrong with that unless we think that is the miracle fix that makes it happen. So we have to do it. James chapter 1 verse 26 says this about formulas. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is, say that with word with me, worthless. Religion can be worthless if you come up with formulas that you go through, but you, it has no effect on your life to change your life because nobody else is interested in that kind of religion. Heard a story about a priest who was at the confession booth and a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for, an uh, influential person in the community came in for confession and sat on the other side of the confession booth. And he confessed, trying to make his heart right with God, he confessed that for 30 years he had been stealing property from his employer. It was a supply firm, supply company. And he'd been stealing lumber for long enough that he'd built a house for himself and two more for his family members. One of them was a lake house. And he just felt that that wasn't the right thing to do, so he wanted to confess it. And the priest thought, oh my, that's pretty serious. This is going to take some serious penance for you to work through that. So we have to somehow change the way you think, change your routine, change what your pattern is. We have to somehow change that. Have, Have you ever done a retreat? And the man said, no, but if you can get the blueprints, I can get the lumber. That's the way some of us think. God's looking for a heart change. He wants to change us from wicked, evil, vile sinners. What a wretch am I into something profitable for the kingdom of God. And we got to get out of the way for that to happen. The power to change lives is in the Holy Spirit that resides inside a believer or should reside inside a believer. Here's the third principle we learned from the sons of Sceva. We need to establish a reputation. Satan looked at him and he said, 
Now, Jesus has a reputation. I know about that. Paul has a reputation. I know about that. But who in the world are you and went to work on them? You know, you do have a reputation. What is that reputation? And not only that, but I want to take it one step further. Since the Holy Spirit supposedly lives inside of you as a Christian, what reputation does God have with the people around you? That's a good question. When people look at us and we talk about how we, we're Christians, that's a good question. What kind of reputation does God have when they're looking at us? You see, number one, the Lord has to, has to know our reputation. We have to have a reputation with the Lord. Yes. Number two, other believers should, have, should know our reputation. What are other believers saying about us? Are we always seeing how much we can get away with before God zaps us? Come on, are we constantly flirting with sin just to see what we can get away with to say we can do this? Are we pursuing holiness? Because that's the first name yes. of the Spirit of God. Amen. Holy. And Satan should know our reputation. Yep. Come on. What does he know about us? Yep. You know, the only thing Satan knows about us is what he watches. And he knows if we're scoundrels really on the inside or not. He knows if there's, if there's a pure heart inside of us. Satan knows that. But in this case, Satan didn't know who they were. So he cleaned their clock. But here's the good news. You can change your reputation. There are so many of us in this room who have changed our reputation over the years. We're nothing like we used to be. You can change your reputation Uh, there was recently, last year, there was an auction and property to our nor north, to our east and south, got purchased so somebody could farm it. So there's a couple fence rows in there, tree rows, I guess I should call them. And uh, the, the farmer that bought it uh, hired somebody, I'm sure he's not doing it himself, hired somebody to come in with a big caterpillar-type uh, wrecking machine, the big boom on the front, to go through and take those trees out. That thing can actually grab a hold of a 75-year-old tree and lift it straight up out of the ground, roots and all. Amazing. Give that thing a shake and drag these trees over and pile them up so that they can be burned. And I watched that 75 years of growth. In two weeks, they're all gone. Amazing wrecking machine. Some of us can be amazing wrecking machines. Some of us can spend 75 years of our life building up a good reputation and make one mistake and it's all gone. People will forget all the good, they'll remember the bad. Reputation is important. We have to establish a reputation. Psalm 22 uh, I think it's verse 1. Did we ever put... Yeah, good, because I left one out of my notes. A good man... 
her good name. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. That's what the Bible says about a reputation. A good name. That's what your reputation is. What do, what do people say about you? That's your reputation. Not what you think about you, but what do they think about you? Establish your reputation. Here's, here's the fourth principle we learn. Satan exposes our weakness. If, if you got a weakness in you, and Satan is every day watching your life, it doesn't take him long to figure out what the weakness is. If you got a weakness in you, he will go to work on that. These dedicated sons of Sceva who wanted to change the world, they wanted to make the world a better place, they wanted to help people's lives, didn't have the power, and he knew it. So he took advantage of that, and he will take advantage of that in your life, in my life. So they left naked. Did you know that nakedness in the Bible is symbolic of being caught in your sin? Sin uncovered, exposed, out in the open. There's nothing you can do about it. That's what nakedness always represents. That's why when they nailed Jesus to the cross, he didn't have a loincloth on like you see in the pictures. He was naked. They stripped him naked. They intended to humiliate him, but he intended to pay the price for our nakedness, for our sin uncovered, exposed. So they ran out uncovered, and they were bleeding. King James says, version says that they were bruised, which is bleeding under the skin. But bleeding is loss of life. Life is in the blood. When you lose the blood, you're bleeding to death. And they left defeated. And they left the demon-possessed man still demon-possessed. They failed what they tried to do. And maybe, like many of us, they refused to ever try again. Well, if God's going to let this happen, there's no way I'm ever going to let him do it to me again. Never tried again to be what God wanted them to be. They accomplished nothing. There's an old legend, I'm sure it's a legend, about a baby that was born by the name of Achilles. And his mother wanted to protect him, give him some kind of power so that he could be mighty against his enemies. So mother, the mother took baby Achilles and took him down to the river Styx. I think you pronounce it that way. It's got a Y in it. Took him and dipped him in the river, baptized him in the river, and then pulled him out. And Achilles was a mighty warrior from that day on. Until an enemy discovered that when she dipped him in the river, his heel... Is what she grabbed a hold of. And that was unbaptized. And so when the enemy discovered that, he knew he had an Achilles heel. That's where that term comes from. If you can find someone's Achilles heel, if you can find their weakness, if you can find what's not completely sold out to God, that's where you strike. 
Satan knows where your Achilles heel is. Did you know that? He knows it. And that's where he's going to try to get a hold of you. That's why you need completely baptized. Completely immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. So, why would they even put this story? I, I, I understand somebody like me can take and pull something good out of anything. But why did they put that story in the Bible? Before you get too discouraged, I want to read the next paragraph. Pay attention. This is the aftermath. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Did you know this is the way God works? He'll take a bad situation and turn it into a good one. It's what we call the resurrection principle. He'll take something absolutely dead and give it life. Why did this story happen with the sons of Sceva that was bad news? Because it woke the church up to where the real power was. That needed to happen. There will be results. That's the fifth thing we want to learn from the story of the sons of Sceva. It looks like they were soundly defeated. It looks like no good things are going to come from this. But in reality, God can take a bad thing and turn it into something good. And I'm saying that because I'm sure there's people in this room right now just going through some real kind of hellfire going on in your life. And you need to know if you hang on to Jesus, he can bring something good out of this. He's always in the business of redeeming and restoring. Redeeming and restoring. There's two words you ought to put on your refrigerator to keep reminding you. He's always in the business of redeeming and restoring. So the name of Jesus was elevated. Everybody was talking about Jesus because Paul's able to do these things, sons of Sceva are not. So because they failed, it pointed out the, the, the win in the Apostle Paul, the power that he had. If God will work for Paul but not the sons of Sceva, I don't want to do it Sceva's way. I want to do it Paul's way. Second thing, there was confession of sin. As long as we hide something on the inside, it continues to fester continues to, to, to mold on the inside and brings death on the inside. Confess it and you bring it out. You make yourself accountable to who you confessed it to. Confession is good for the soul. Righteousness comes with confession. Third thing that happened, people banned their books. They burned their books. They destroyed These books had to do with the past. They had to do with their sin. They had to do with their old life. They had to burn them. They had to take what they were coddling and they had to destroy it. They had to move it out of their lives. I'm sure there's some of us in this room that have some old memories, something that's attached to the past that was a bad thing, and we need to burn it. That's called repentance. Break ties to that sin. And fourthly, the word of God grew in power. I love that. 
Satan thought he was diminishing the power, but it backfired on him, as it always does when you let Jesus come into a situation. When it says the Word of God grew, it doesn't mean their Bibles got bigger and bigger. That's what super religious people want to do. Bigger and bigger Bibles so I can show off how spiritual I am. No, it means the truth grew in them. The truth and the Word grew in them. It had more and more meaning. Some, uh, some years ago, I was going to see a chiropractor because I had some lower back issues from lifting things the way I shouldn't have years ago. When you, you do that when you're young, then you pay for it when you get older. All the older folks ought to say, amen. amen. So I was going to a chiropractor, and what he would do, he would lay me on this table, face down, and he would put these electrodes on my lower back. He knew exactly where to put them. And uh, they would send these electrical charges into, into certain areas in my back for the sciatic, because uh, that was the problem. And it was pretty helpful. One time I went in there to do this. Of course, when you start that, you've got to keep going back over and over and over. So uh, I was going in there for my daily or my weekly treatment, and he hooked me up, and there was this, this lady kind of turns the... Uh, the volume up. It's like a little mild electric shock and it, it gets stronger. And because I, I figure, well, if a little bit works, <laughs> give, me the, give me the whole thing. <laughs> so I would slowly, she'd, she'd crank it up and when I'd say, that's, there, that's comfortable. And then they would do that for about 15 minutes, that, that electric jolt. And this one time I was laying there and she, she said, is that enough? And I said, no, a little more, a little more. And, she, and pretty soon she says, well, that's all the way up. And I said, okay. Well, I can hardly feel it. Laid there for 15 minutes, wasting my time, hardly feeling a thing. When I got up, I thought to myself, the next time I come back, I'm not laying on that table. I'm going to lay on this one. Because there's not enough power in there to do the job. You get the message? There's not enough power in that thing. I don't, wanna go, I don't want that thing that's not enough power. I want to go to where the power is. Because I need some effect in my life. There's a whole lot of Christians going to a church where there's not enough power. They have a belief system where there's not enough power. They can't figure out why God won't work through them because there's not enough power. The power's in the Holy Spirit. And you just have to quit telling God what you want to do for Him and let Him tell you what He wants you to do for Him. Closing Scripture. Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What did God mean for good? The evil. They wanted to hurt him, but God meant it for good in order for the purpose of to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. To bring good out of bad. What the enemy means for evil, God means for good. This story we read about the sons of Sceva is a great example of people thinking they can do it in their own strength and failing at it. We have to have God. What the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. Listen, what you're going through right now in your life that you feel is a bad thing, it's a bad thing, the enemy meant it to discourage you, you hang on to Jesus. 
and he'll turn it into a good thing. Watch and see what God wants to do in your life. Let's stand together. Maybe you need to have a conversation with God. Maybe not right here necessarily, but when you get home, because it is one-on-one, you just need to have that conversation and say, God, I understand what the enemy's trying to do, but I'm not going to let him win. I'm going to let you turn a bad thing into a good thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's take this message home and apply it to us because again and again, you're going to have situations where it looks like you failed. Watch what God wants to do. Amen?